0: I have a question for you. Would you collect animal poo in the name of science? No, no, I'm not asking for submissions, but today's speaker might. I'm Tegan Taylor, and this is Occam's Razor, a soapbox for science. Today's speaker, Talia Perry, researches echidnas, and she needs your help to understand this complicated species. I study echidnas, arguably one of Australia's most iconic species. And even though they are so well loved around Australia, we still have very limited knowledge about most of their populations. But I'll get into that stuff a little bit later. I first want to start off with telling you some great fun facts about echidnas. I could speak all night about this, so I'm trying my hardest to keep this into 10 minutes. But first of all, I want to introduce you to the fact that I don't think many people know, but echidnas' back feet actually point backwards. So if you actually ever look at any echidnas, especially uh, ones in museums across the world, you'll find that most taxidermists didn't know this, and they've been putting the echidnas' feet on the wrong way. (laughs) And the reason that they have these feet in these positions is because it actually means that they can dig really, really easily into the soft soil. and if you've ever come across an, an echidna that doesn't want to be disturbed, it will just sink immediately into the ground. <laughs> uh, and also the, the fact that their back feet point backwards makes them excellent swimmers. So in summer, they'll actually seek out water bodies and you might even find them in rivers, um, in lakes, even on the beach, sometimes even in people's uh, water baths and pools. <laughs> so fantastic swimmers. They usually a little beakers like, to snorkel. It's a really great sight to see if you ever get to see this. Another great thing about echidnas and platypuses is that they're the only egg laying mammals that we have in the whole world. We're so lucky to have them here in Australia. And a lot of echidna reproduction is actually really, really fascinating. So echidnas only reproduce during the months of July to September every year. It's the only time you'll ever see more than one echidna together out in the wild. And they make what are called echidna trains, where one female is followed by multiple males, all competing with each other, trying to mate with her. And these trains will last several weeks, sometimes even up to a month, until the female will decide on which male that she wants to mate with. So, <laughs> the echidna will then, the female echidna will then fall pregnant. She's only gestating for 23 days before she lays her egg. And then, this baby echidna, which is called a puggle, will stay inside of that egg for just 10 days until it hatches. And then, if you look at your thumbnails right now, that is the size of the baby echidna when it hatches. Absolutely incredible. So as you can tell, I love telling stories about echidnas. But as I mentioned at the beginning, they're very, very difficult to actually study out in the wild, very cryptic animals. And that is a really big concern for us from a conservation perspective, because if we don't have information about where exactly they are and what they're doing and how they're going in their wild populations, we can't ever preserve them into the future. And that's a real risk at the moment because the only really well-studied population of echidnas exists on Kangaroo Island. And that's due to a collaborator of ours, Dr Peggy rees who lives on Kangaroo Island and has been studying echidnas for the past 30 years. She is the world expert on echidnas and their ecology. Because of that research, that population has now been listed as endangered. And they face the same risks as echidnas across the whole of Australia, including cats, very common roadkill and habitat loss. So we're really concerned about the rest of Echidna populations around Australia. But we need Australia-wide data really quickly, really effectively, in a very short time frame, to be able to get this information now so that we can make sure that we can have this, watch their populations change, and make sure that we can conserve them into the future. So that sounds like a really easy task, right? Just you know get every single information about every echidna across the whole of Australia. Great. So I endeavored to try and get that information during my PhD. and I did that by creating a citizen science project where we were asking the general public to get involved in echidna research. And so we did that by creating an app for people to download, also called Echidna CSI, and we asked them to do a couple of things. Firstly was to take photos of echidnas out in the wild whenever they see them, and then the app automatically tracks the date, the time, the location, and we asked them a couple of different questions about what the echidna was doing or how big it was when they were out in the environment as well. And the other thing that we get people to do was a little bit unusual, but is collecting echidna poo. And it's a good thing that echidna poo was actually quite distinctive. Basically, they are long tubes of soil. They're a lot larger than people would initially think. They can be about 10 to 15 centimetres long. They are about the thickness of a 5 cent to a 20 cent piece coin, depending on the echidna. And they even glitter in the sunlight. So kind of like a bit of a fancy poo, if you tell me. (laughs) and we were pretty ecstatic that when we launched this project so many of the Australian public really jumped on board this and were really passionate about getting information about echidnas and also for helping with their conservation actually when we launched the project we did it at Adelaide Zoo and the idea was because we had some news crews that wanted to interview us and find out some information about the project but also they really wanted a great image and video footage of the echidna that lives at Adelaide Zoo, which is named Stevie, by the way. Um, He's a blind echidna. So he was called Stevie after Stevie Wonder. (laughs) And he's still there. But um, we were there for an hour, hour and a half, trying to get these interviews done. And do you think we could find Stevie anywhere? No, so that was a real good tell of why we needed the general public to give us a stud because we, a bunch of 10 people, including zoo staff, couldn't find this echidna in its own enclosure. So, Echidna CSI has been running now for a bit over five years, and we've had about 15,000 downloads of the app across the whole of Australia, and people submitting data and echidna poo for us. Some of the most interesting things that I found from the sighting data that was coming in is that how many echidnas were popping up into really urbanised areas in Australia, like literally in the middle of Adelaide, middle of Sydney, middle of almost every single major city in Australia. And that raised a little bit of concerns for us because echidnas shouldn't want to be here. There's not appropriate habitat food sources that increases their risk of roadkill. So it means that a lot of their habitats, natural habitats are obviously getting destroyed enough that they feel like they need to encroach in these environments. So that's something that we're hoping that now governments and policymakers will take into consideration. The echidnas have never been considered an urban species before like koalas or possums have. So this is something that can actually be put into policies now moving forward, as well as the obvious of rehabilitating habitats for them, even in people's own backyards, which which is really great. And so speaking of their diet, echidnas tend to be called ant and termite eaters specifically. But the interesting thing that we got to do with the scats is look at the DNA inside of them. So I'm actually a geneticist by training. Um, I have always loved animals, especially mammals, but uh, during my undergrad studies, I really fell in love with genetics. So I really wanted to find a way that I could use genetic tools and methods into animal conservation, which is what I'm doing now. So fascinatingly enough, there's a lot of really cool DNA and other molecules inside of echidna poo and all animal poo, really, that can give us even more information than just where they are and how they're doing. So we can find out the DNA from the echidnas themselves. So we can find out how they're related to each other. There's DNA from the food that they're eating so that we can find out exactly what they're eating. And there's also the DNA from the bacteria living inside of their guts, which is a really good indication of health and also how that food is being broken down to give them nutrients. So when we started this project we had an inkling that echidnas weren't just eating ants and termites and that's mostly from the field studies of these collaborators who have been working out in the field for the past 30 years, Like. Uh, doc, Dr Peggy Reesmiller, who had visually seen echidnas eating soft-bodied insects, but that weren't showing up in the scats, in the poo. Uh, so we wanted to be able to use genetic tools to figure out what exactly they were eating. And surprisingly enough, it wasn't just the range of different insects that were popping up. It was plants and fungi as well that were in their diet. So I can see a really good shock face in the audience. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I mean. Yeah, absolutely shocking. This has never been considered before an echidna diet before. So, not just was the DNA of the plants and the fungi popping up in the the DNA from the echidna scats, but we were also able to look at the bacteria uh, in their guts as well from the scats, and we found that there were plant-fermenting bacteria that were actually breaking down that plant material so that they could be uh, used as nutrients for the echidnas which is not super unsurprising because uh, hard-bodied exoskeletons like from ants and termites are really hard to break down too. So they obviously weren't getting a lot of uh, nutrients that way either. This has been really important for us from our perspective of not just research, but also for applications. So we partner a lot with zoos, especially Taronga Zoo and Perth Zoo. who have a really active breeding program and are trying to change the diets of echidnas in captivity because they've had some gut issues in the past as well. We are partnering with these zoos so that we can make sure that they are having happy, healthy echidnas that are gonna be um, used for breeding for long-term strategies too. So. I've been running Echidna CSI now for five years, I get to talk to a lot of amazing people who are super passionate about this sort of research, and it's really reinvigorated the science side of things for me as well. So none of this research would have been ever possible without the thousands and thousands of people who managed to help with my research, so I will always be grateful for those people who have contributed. And Echidna CSI is still running, so if you would like to get involved, um, please do download the app. The hope is that these sorts of projects will last as long as possible. so that we can get that long-term information so that we can actually make some real differences. Thank you. That was Dr Talia Perry, postdoctoral researcher for the School of Biological Sciences at the University of Adelaide. She was speaking at our Occam's Razor live event at MOD on the traditional lands of the Ghana people in November. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host, and I'll be back next week with more science to surprise you.